Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. I am thankful for technology, for emails, for texts, for the chance to uh, call and connect with people. But this morning I ran into the grocery store to grab some bread for communion. And uh, somebody called out to me, Alan. And so I turned and saw one of our dear people from the church. And from about 10 feet away, we talked to each other, got caught up. And I realized, you know, I just miss you. And I'm glad to connect in all those digital ways. But seeing um, this person this morning reminded me just how much I miss all of you. And uh, while this is a great experience to come together, I miss seeing you all. So I hope you're doing well, and I hope that you're finding community in ways that are supporting your spirit, but these are hard days. We are wrapping up uh, today as we lead into Easter the idea of the Jesus way. Eugene Peterson is the main resource for us, and, and this has been a time of understanding that the Jesus way is a season of disruption. That if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that our lives are disrupted by something greater than ourselves. July 26, 1963, the world was tense. The Soviet Union had led the space war, and people were concerned in the Western countries that the Communist Empire would win the Cold War. Berlin and many of the European countries were divided by this invisible iron curtain, and with it, demoralization, a unity that they had shared following World War II. And just nine months earlier, the Cuban Missile Crisis had brought the world uh, to the edge of their seats as the two superpowers stood on the brink of nuclear war. That was what was happening in the global picture. And then 17 seconds changed everybody's focus. In a town called Skopje, the capital of Macedonia, part of Yugoslavia, they had an earthquake. Only 17 seconds, 6.1 magnitude, but a thousand people would be killed, many thousands would be injured, and 75% of the city was destroyed. Skopje no longer, in a sense, existed. But the disruption changed the global focus. France sent emergency workers to rescue trapped residents. U.S., Sweden, and Romania provided hospitals and health care and provided actual health centers. The Soviets dispatched an entire building component factory to rebuild the houses. The United Kingdom, Czechoslovakia, Finland, Italy, Mexico, Norway, and Poland all sent prefabricated dwellings that people could be housed who were displaced. All told, 80 countries moved from concern about the Cold War and the Iron Curtain and became, about, became concerned about the people of Skopje. It became known as a city of international solidarity. Some historians say the world was saved by the 1963 Skopje disruption. We live in disrupted times. Our normal is no longer available to us. But God is continuing to work. And this morning, as we look at the Palm Sunday, 2,000 years earlier, uh, Jesus was a disruptive force. 
As he entered the city of Jerusalem, it was preparing for Passover, so Jerusalem was packed with people. The Romans may have seen it as an insurrection. What were these people doing? The religious leaders may have seen it as mutiny. The disciples may have seen it as a victory that their leader was being celebrated nationally. Jesus saw it for what it was. One more step on God's redemptive plan. This begins Holy Week. It starts with this great celebration. People saying, Hosanna, save us. It, it means praise God, but it's in the sense with anticipating the sense that God is working towards a salvation. The disruption for the people was a part of the hopes and dreams that they would have that Jesus would save them immediately. But Jesus heading in to the city, being surrounded by people yelling Hosanna, had already told them what would be coming. Three times in Matthew, Jesus says, I am going to Jerusalem to die. Matthew 16, 21 Matthew 17, 22, and, and then Matthew 20, 17, all have Jesus saying this, I am going to Jerusalem, not to be celebrated, but to die. So this morning, let's read this passage, and let's understand how God is still at work, even though we're in the midst of a disruptive season. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his colt beside it. Untie them and, and, and then bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowd replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We call this season Palm Sunday because people spread out the palms to celebrate. As they shouted, Hosanna, save us. And God, we praise you that you have salvation in store for us. This morning I'd like to use the idea of palm, not a branch that we wave, but in a sense what is the position of our heart as it reflected in the palms that were present, the palms of the people. We reveal our hearts when we reflect through our palms what is happening in our lives. As Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, they had their palms up. They were ready to receive God. They were ready to receive the Messiah. As Matthew writes his narrative of Jesus living and ministering and ultimately dying and being resurrected, he connects them to Old Testament prophecies. And so as he writes about Jesus entering Jerusalem, he connects it with this prophecy that tells them the Messiah is coming. So the people had a reason to hold up their hands, their palms, and say, God, save us. 
when we have the chance to have our grandchildren, the littlest one, will come to Denise Ryan and go, hold you, hold you. <laughs> and we know what that means. That means hold me. His palms are up. He wants to be received. It is a special time. And these people were like that. They were coming before God with their palms up saying, we are ready to receive. The problem was what they were looking for isn't what Jesus had intended for his mission. Jesus had come to be the Savior of the world, not the Savior of their people. It would have been better for them. It would have been more convenient. It would have been what they wanted if Jesus had come to destroy the Roman Empire, to, to de-seat the power of the religious leaders who had used their relationship and their understanding of scriptures to initially free the people and to pursue God, but over the years had become a rigid and legalistic tradition that put a burden on the people. That pursuing God was a weight upon them because of religious leaders. It would have been great for the people if Jesus had dethroned their power. But Jesus coming to them at that season was not about a political empire. It was about the salvation of their souls. Well, when my grandson says, hold you, <laughs> and I either for some reason can't hold him, he fairly quickly is very disappointed. And sometimes we turn our palms out instead of up when God disappoints us. And for the nation of Israel, they had a clear idea of what the Messiah would be. That there would be power and excellence and joy and wealth returned to the nation of Israel. And Jesus did not come to do that. And so the people put their palms out. Said, God, if you're not going to perform for us, if you're not going to do what we want, then we do not want you to be our Messiah. In Matthew 27, 15 to 23, which takes place at the end of the week, Jesus is now brought before the people. And instead of them having palms up saying, God, we are ready to receive your Messiah, they have their palms out saying, God, we choose Barabbas. The crowd that was so willing to have their palms up and saying, Hosanna, now are saying, we choose someone else. If you won't save us the way we want to be saved, we will choose our own. Can't imagine Jesus in that setting, knowing what he would do over the next days, being so clearly rejected. And yet he continues to live the Jesus way. And so for Jesus, it was putting his palms back and surrendering to the will of the Father. And although over the course of the week we would hear him say in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this from me. I do not want to experience this. Jesus, with his palms back, was the obedient servant who lives out the ultimate model of what it means to live the Jesus way. The Jesus way for us is we say, what do we need to learn as we move towards Easter, towards the resurrected Savior? We need to identify with a suffering Savior as well. It starts in our heart. When we establish a relationship with this Messiah, Jesus, when we confess our sins and claim him as our Lord. It isn't a head thing. It isn't just a heart thing. It's a sense of how we live in response to the Jesus way. It's informed and shaped by eternity, not by immediacy. For the disciples on Palm Sunday, I'm sure they were so excited to have their leader celebrated, 
Just think what would happen for them. Power and influence would be trickled down into their lives and how disappointed they were when they saw their leader hanging on the cross. But Jesus lived out of a sense of eternity, not immediacy. Jesus lived a life that his actions were designed for impact and not applause. That he would be somebody who would do the right thing even though it would cost him dearly. That Jesus' way for us is an opportunity to say, God, I will live my life according to you, not for applause. But God, this is what you're calling me to do. In these days of coronavirus, there are so many ways to minister and care for people in invisible ways. From sewing masks to emailing, to giving people calls, to writing a card. Uh, nobody may applaud you for that. And yet that is the Jesus way of bringing encouragement to those around you. D.L. Moody said this, A holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. As we live in this time of disruption, when our normal is unhinged, it is easy to just put our palms out and say, God, <laughs> I don't like this. I have a much better plan. Yet the way of Jesus is to put our palms back. Saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. But I'm, I'm, God, I'm going to listen to you. Spirit, would you please lead me to a life of impact during this time? Communion is just disruptive. As we gather and as we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, to participate in communion is a disruptive act because we take ourselves out of the control and put Jesus in that place. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, uh, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, passes this message on. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Normally, in communion, we have places to serve communion where, where we do it as a personal, individual act. This morning, I would like us to do it together. So if you have followed the instructions and if you've gathered communion supplies, I'd like you to just wait till we take it together. Although we are separated by many miles, many homes, we can come together and do this together. And so this morning as the band comes and Denise and Joel come up with this, I'd encourage you to, to do this with us as an act of solidarity. But this is what Jesus did. He took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. That as he suffers for us, he's reminded it is a joyful gift that he gave to you. Then he talks about this new covenant written with his blood. A covenant of grace. You do not earn your way to communion. You receive it as a gift of grace. 
So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread and he took some of it. And he said to his disciples, if you walk with me, if you choose my way, I've sacrificed for you. Take this bread and eat it. Then he said, take this cup. It's a covenant written in my blood. A covenant of grace. May this be a grace gift to you. Let's drink it together. Dear God, as we've celebrated this communion time, would you you speak to us? Would you direct us? Would you help us understand the privilege of receiving this gift of grace and also the responsibility? God, as we experience disruption in this time, God, may you fill that chaos just as you did in creation. That you brought order out of chaos. And God, we need your order. And may it be connected to your mission that we might be people of grace and hope. God, meet with us as families, as individuals. Remind us that we are connected to the body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.